This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Tamahome. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Scanners Live in Vain by Cordwainer Smith. And uh, this is an interesting story, uh, first written in 45, we're told, and published in 1950. I, I think if you, if you just read the first, like, three sentences, you're, you're going to go, what the hell's going on? And then you have to read the whole rest of the story to figure that out. I think this is mm-hmm. his first science fiction story, or with this universe? Yeah. yeah first one published. says on the internet uh, that... Uh, he actually did publish something like when he was a teenager under his real name or at least another name. And then this is his sort of real, real uh, career starter. And apparently, even though it was published in a really obscure magazine, it, it whoever read it uh, thought it was kick ass and started. That uh, was um, Frederick Paul, I think. Mm, yeah, he Frederick Paul. That's right. Mm. And uh, apparently, he's going to do a whole bunch of uh, different. Uh, Magazines too, and <laughs> nobody wanted it. For, yeah, for a long time. You can see why. I mean, there's a lot of sort of roughness to the writing, but also there's so much power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it is it is kind of unique. I've I've not read a lot of other Cordwainer Smith. Uh, the one that I um, that I have read is another instrumentality story, which basically has the same sort of premise. You know, space is not for humans, and you have to do special stuff for it. Uh, I think that one's called A Game of Rat and Dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I did that from my childhood, too. It's a cat, it's a cat story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool cat story. It is a cool cat story. Um, it's, you know... The people who are infected with toxoplasmosis or whatever it is that cats have, they they just find cats absolutely fascinating, and <laughs> cats don't like them at all. <laughs> he, um, I think he really liked cats because he has a lot of cats in his other stories as well. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be true of the people who like cats. You know, like uh, Poe, or well, mind you, Poe he, he also killed his cats, but Lovecraft, Aww. you know. A lot in his story about it. Um, if you like cats, you're, you're a cat person. Um, I mean, I, I think cats are they're okay, but I, I think I'm definitely a dog person. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that that that's a really kind of creepy story too, because at, at the very end, I mean, basically you've got what these these space pilots who are teamed up with with cats, and mm-hmm. the cats help them to target these these sort of aliens as the uh, the spaceships are, are traveling through another dimension in order to get from mm-hmm. one place to another. And at the very end, just, just again, just creepy, I remember that the, the, the one pilot just just was in love with his, his cat. Mm-hmm. And and just he was wondering why why human women couldn't be as nice as the cat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, That's kind of it, romantic. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, is this is uh, this is I don't know if I don't know if this is the first story to do it. it. It's a very early cyborg story, probably not the first cyborg story, but it's it's very early. Uh, it does so much with 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 it's like. 
it's so deep in into the universe that when you start with these words like Haberman and mm-hmm. Cranching, and you start saying, I don't know what's going on, and, uh, and you have a feeling that the author doesn't know either, but that totally goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, after like the first second, you mm-hmm. say, "Yo, he knows what he's doing," and we're gonna find out, and we do. I mean, there's, I'm, I, I don't know exactly where the wire plugs in, mm-hmm. but I do know that um, it all makes sense into in his certain... chest, his chest. Let's say his chest. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be right. Um, and Control I was box. thinking when he's biting off that nail. Um, I was thinking, is that like a artificial nail, like that's been implanted, or is it is it like because mm-hmm. uh, it was saying Leinberger is that his real name? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that he was uh, an expert on China and grew up in China. Maybe I, th- I was thinking it was like a Mandarin sort of. Oh yeah, you know, or 1970s Coke nail. Right. Or right. He he. Leinberger was quite a guy. He was amazing. Yeah. I guess his his godfather was Sun Yat Sen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was just amazing stuff. Yeah, he's a fascinating person. Yeah, he had quite a career before even becoming a writer. Yeah, right. although one wonders how much uh, he's responsible for all the uh, terrible adventures the United States has got into in Asia. Yeah, really. Um, because it, it, being a you know a person who lived in that in that culture, he can advise the. It was was he supposed to be an advisor to Kennedy? Yeah, he yeah, was an he was. To Kennedy. Yeah, it's like and, wow. And apparently, he was a good friend of uh, Chiang Kai-shek. Right, right. He was a specialist but, in propaganda as well, which I think you can see a lot of in yeah. the scanners. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on in the in the. It's pretty interesting that it's a, it's a story about traveling in space. Nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like the spacers' union or something, right? And, and they they have a they have a meaning of the spacers union because somebody's trying to break up their union, and they're they're yeah let's kill them yeah, <laughs> yeah even if it's better for everybody they they just want to prevent it from happening prevent the change. yeah it was just strange it had kind of an on the waterfront kind of feel to it in some weird Absolutely. sense stuff about unions mm-hmm. it, it it is it, it seemed like you know the. The there was like a merchant marine guys, but they were super respected, and you got the sense that that respect was sort of, you know, it wasn't going to do much for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like as you go through, you, you realize, okay, well, I don't know what a Haberman is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea what cranching is. I don't know what a scanner is. <laughs> um, and and then you see, okay, hit all. All scanners are Habermans, but not all Habermans are scanners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's only and like that, 68 scanners yeah, or something? Yeah, because he's number 34 or something, yeah. right? <laughs> Controlling right the, the whole, whatever, multiple Earths. And yeah, each, each, each planet is an Earth. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I was wondering if, if, if Earth 4 was like, uh, was that Mars? Because mm. it... it I'm not clear that we're going to other solar systems. I'm, I'm not clear where we're going. Other other solar systems or just other other planets in well, our solar system? Well, yeah. he talks about being on Mars and being on Venus. It's not entirely clear how, whether they've even left the solar system at that point. Yeah. So maybe they're the new Earth. Yeah, it could be. And it, it, we're also in the future, at some unspecified hundreds of years in the future. Oh, mm-hmm. probably more than that. I think I think I think it was supposed to be like thousands of years. Hundred, 
Yeah, it, it, it's at least a couple hundred because they said they said there it hasn't been it hasn't we have that that food has gone extinct like hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's like chops or something. And people oh, yeah. are, people are living to like a couple hundred years old. Yeah, and uh, I actually have a timeline in the beginning of my book, and it goes from uh, oh. two thousand to eight thousand AD. Okay, and, uh, and which one are where are we in this? Timeline, does it uh, say? I think it's 6,000. Yep. Six, wow. That's what okay. I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it seems to be like, at least in the other, you know, in Game of Rat and Dragon, he seems to be tackling the same sort of problem, um, which seem you know, it's like getting into space is going to be hard. And so we're going to have to uh, radically change ourselves to do that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or our cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, getting into space for us in real life was was uh, more of a rocket rocketry problem. But then again, we, you know, like if it was, if they were folding space or whatever, if it was going to other solar systems, maybe that would explain the, uh, the pain of space or, <laughs> I mean... Uh, it, 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 what's I think we can really feel in this story, if not see, is that he really knows. He, he's thinking deep thoughts about something that we don't have much information on, and so when he gets so far into into that, you know, so you see this story just unfold with this just few, first few sentences showing that giant background to the world that you're in. It feels like one of the, that uh, Frederick Pohl story, actually. Um, Day Million, if you guys have read that. Mm-hmm. I think that might be in, in Worlds of Wonder as well, now that I think about it. You guys read that story? No. Okay, well... Uh, I thought you were going to say Call Me Joe, is it? Uh, Call Me Joe is similar to that, yeah. I'm, it's, it's like it throws you into the middle of a... into a future in which people are trying to solve problems. Um, Call Me Joe is also inspiration for uh, Avatar, right. I guess. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, what is the million story about? A day, day Million is set in some unspecified far future. Uh, arguably, it's the first uh, post-singularity story. It's from 1966, I think. And it's very, very short, but uh, it, it's, we're told it's a love story about a guy who's marrying a girl who's not really a girl, but that's okay because the guy's not really a guy. Um, mm. But for our purposes, they're in love, and then it tells the story. Uh, they meet, uh, they fall in love, um, he makes a copy of himself for her, uh, and uh, she stores that, or he stores that, and then they never see each other again. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and yep. one of them flies off into the universe, never to be seen again. Um and and it's it's super powerful because every part of it is it's so uh unconnected with our reality but it's still got the human beings you know doing it's like what will you be like when you've got google installed in all parts of your body uh hard to say exactly but this is an example of that and you know when i have my chest box installed I get my mirror out so I can see whether I burn myself or scan. I can scan myself, <laughs> look at my instruments. Um, I was thinking like it was kind of like a. It, it's like these cyborgs really have they have like 
an instrument panel that they can look down at and see, you know, oh, I'm overheating. <laughs> yeah, I think what's interesting with this one is instead of the um, the mechanics enhancing them, it's restricting them. It's like cutting off all their new, mm-hmm. normal human senses. But it does give them superpowers too, right? They can mm-hmm. like, yeah, they can it. turn themselves up when they need uh, extra. Oh yeah, into high power or high speed. That's right. Yeah, Turbo. make themselves stronger, make themselves faster. But it sounds yeah. like it, even that comes at a price. Yeah, well, of course, Steve Austin never had on any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, the the disconnection also. I mean, there's something symbolic going on. I I don't know what it is, but there's something symbolic of disconnecting yourself from your feelings. I guess. Mm. In I was reading the TV Tropes uh, entry, which is is kind of like a cynical version of mm-hmm. of the Wikipedia entry, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way it was explaining it was it was like um, everyone at that meeting wants to murder the guy who's invented a technology that will put them out of work. Adam Stone, mm-hmm. yes, right, um, and when they do that, the are, the argument in the TV Tropes article is that they're doing that because they are cut off from their feelings because they're all cr- they're not cranched. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my own theories I, on that, which you might yeah, be able I, to I, tell from my performance on the narrative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you guys, Tammy, did you? I sent you the file. Did you get it? Yeah, but I actually read it. Instead of okay, all right. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I was thinking. I knew Jim Campanella would do a good job with this story because. You do do a lot of interesting work with voices, and there is, a, I mean, there's a, you have to pre-read this. You can't just read it dry, oh, right? No, no, no. Um, I mean, the, there's characters who, they sound like they're yelling because they're, you know, they're deaf, and there's other guys with accents, and then there's one of these uh, scanners has no accent, right? Or, oh, that's, or, yeah, the, uh, the Chinese Chang. fellow, yes, Chang. Oh, he's half Chinese. He's, oh, sorry, half Chinese. <laughs> it's it's interesting that Ch- Ch- China comes up again and again in uh, in these stories. Uh, I mean, Linebarger just obviously loved China. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, what were you what were you doing with your interpretation? Well, okay. Um, I mean, my thought on the matter was, I mean, you may have noticed how I the the a couple of things. One. I decided to make Martel. Martel is the hero of the story. He's mm-hmm. the uh, the fellow who's who's not cranched. And I decided that I would make him about as American as you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And the way that that other people in the world think of when they think of Americans and they think of an American accent, immediately what you're going to hear is somebody from the South. That's that's sort of the the uh, the, the idea. And sure. so I tried to make him very American. And so he hey, talks like this, uh, or uh, and I didn't yeah. quite I didn't quite exaggerate it that much. I just I just gave it a hint. Mm-hmm. And um, I I was not thinking of the scanners so much as as a uh, as a sort of labor union. I, I was thinking them more along the lines of symbolic, perhaps being the Nazis. I mean, hmm. people who have cut themselves off entirely from their feelings. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, too. and given given that it was written in mid nineteen forties, with especially with with all the atrocities that uh, it was it was people had begun to realize the, the the Nazis had committed. I mean, and and certainly uh, Linebarger, 
uh, being a scholar and being being in the government knew knew a great deal about this. Um, it, it was it was almost to me like a, a story that talked about the Nazis and Adam Stone. What was the accent I gave him? I gave him a, a sort of American Jewish accent. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And I did that on purpose with, with the idea of of all these people are out to get this one guy and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, this sort of anti-Semitic feeling wasn't wasn't obvious in the story, but no. I mean, you could think of it that way. I mean, and that that was that was kind of my interpretation that that they had lost their their feeling, their their understanding of humankind, and they were they had no problems trying to destroy someone who they thought, whether he was actually out to get them or not, whether they thought that he was out to get them, and that that was the idea. In this case, this this sort of anti-Semitic feeling, let's go after Adam Stone, this rotten scumbag who wants to uh, take away our, our livelihood. And, and in, in some weird sense, I, I think it tracked with with those ideas. And, and I, I don't know if, if that's what what uh, Smith or Leinbarger or whatever you want to call him was, was thinking, but I mean, that, that's what kind of I was thinking as I was, as I was going through this. No, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, he, he would probably be more familiar with the Japanese uh, atrocities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, are arguably, you know, maybe less systematic, but mm-hmm. equally traumatic to the people who are there happening to. Um, it's, uh, it, yeah, it, I somehow knew Jim Campanella was the guy for this story. Uh, had you read uh, any Cordwainer Smith before? I had read, I had read a little. I had read several stories. I had, but I had never read them in order. I had, I had kind of skipped around, mm-hmm. and I, and I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that there was kind of an order to them. And it wasn't until I, I actually uh, bought uh, bought the, bought the book, the, the the rediscovery of man, a few months back, that 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 it kind of struck me as, oh, there's there's a history here. There's actually there's actually a process by which uh, by which Smith was writing, and mm-hmm. and this was sort of at the beginning of everything. Absolutely. Oh wow! I mean, uh, one of the entries later in that Wikipedia entry is mention of one of the introduction. I think it's in in the book Tam has uh, by J. J. Pierce introduction, mm-hmm. saying that uh, the mantra that they they say at their meeting mm-hmm. before the emergency happens <laughs> is uh, related or at least symbolically similar to to the one that's in uh, the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, yes, yes. And in the in that one, uh you know there you know thou shalt thou shalt not like go on all fours to drink. Right. What is the law? Right. Yeah. And it 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 does kind of feel that but but in that case those animals are sort of subhumans that are trying to strive to be human. In this case, they are once humans who are trying to assert their dominance, even though they have, they, they've lost a lot of what makes them human, right? Just about everything. Yeah. I mean, can't taste, can't hear, can't smell, can't literally can't feel. I mean, it talks about walking around and not being able to feel your feet as you're walking. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Chang, the one who had practiced so well that you, 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 you couldn't tell by looking at him that he wasn't uh, 
Right, was, right. And he, he could, could use his voice. His, but not just that, his facial expressions. He could, he, he could look like he, he uh, yeah. was communicating. It made me think that, like, um, it was, it was kind of like uh, if you fake the feelings, that you'll act the feelings. You know, that, what's that, you know, it's like if you smile, it makes you feel happy. <laughs> right, right. So thing. in his case, even though he, he couldn't feel, he was, he was so good at what he was doing that he actually mm-hmm. felt more than any of the other. And, and remember, he's the only one who supports our hero. Right. In that vote, right? Right. And, well, initially, initially, uh, his, uh, his Polish friend, wanted to uh wanted to, to to sort of support him too or at the very at the very first vote but after that i guess you're right chang was the only one who supported him mhm and that's uh and they on the tv tropes they always make it very cynical it's, it's token token friend or something like that <laughs> um because chang doesn't really play much of a role later on after this vote um and our Percy, uh, per, per, how do we pronounce the other guy's name? Perziansky. Perziansky. Okay, but you made you gave him a Polish accent, I think, or something. Well, yes, they kept calling him Polish. I figured, why not? Yeah, uh, it was interesting because it was it was supposed to be like a a UN of um, of uh, spacers or something, mm-hmm. and but the the Chinese didn't send very many uh, people to be scanners because they didn't uh, like being scanners, right? Do you want to be a scanner? <laughs> Not particularly, thanks. No, no sounds pretty, uh, pretty bad. Um, one one of the uh, touches that I mean, I think we could comb through it quite a bit to to find and tease out some really interesting things. Um, it made at first I when I was hearing about the Habermans, I was thinking about uh, the Anne McCaffrey story, uh, the ship who sang. You, you guys read that? There's a whole series of novels that Mm-mm. came out of that, but I know about it. I haven't read it. Yeah, I know about it too. Just oh, okay. it. it's fabu- a fabulously well-written short story about uh, a disformed or malformed baby that is turned into a spaceship. Right. They, right. they uh, she, you know, she's profoundly disabled, and they they encase her in a in like I don't know a test tube sort of thing, and install her in a spaceship, and then send her off into outer space as the brain for the computer uh, for the mm-hmm. spaceship. But uh, she's lonely, and all the other spaceships like her are lonely, and they're all assigned men <laughs> um, who you know are you know inside them and <laughs> walking around and traveling with them and you know keeping them as companions, and um, it's. Uh, it's like a romantic science fiction yeah, story. It's not not symbolic at all. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it's it's really well written. Um, but in that case, uh, you know, it's we, we've seen that. You know, he, there's a Philip K. Dick story called Mister Spaceship. That's the same idea. As, you know, you sort of disconnect someone from their body and install them as the brain of a uh, a ship. Right. Right. In in the in this case, I thought that's how Habermans were because they were cut off from their bodies, right? I thought, oh, they're cut out of their bodies. But actually, when he's when he's sneaking into the city where Tom Stone lives, mm-hmm. um, he we're told uh, that uh, Habermans could go and have some of the few pleasures that they they were uh, able to have. Right. Uh, which was they could go to the pleasure house and look at women. 
Right, but you're talking specifically about scanners now, scanners, because the, no, the regular the regular Habermans they were they were all uh, criminals. Yeah, but it said Habermans, not not scanners. And I know that scanners are Habermans, but um, were the Habermans cut off just like the scanners? Yes. Yeah. They, yes. It seems like like it was like almost like they were did the same exact thing, except scanners have. Extra equipment installed. Right. They they well they they were taught to scan because at one point uh, Martel says that uh, any scanner any any Haberman who learned anything from a scanner and how to sort of control themselves that they were immediately killed. And the other thing was is that Habermans (laughs) weren't really allowed anywhere. They it sounds like they were frozen immediately when their ships got back. The only people who were allowed off the ships scanners. What it sounded like. But 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 he also said something like um, something to the effect that the the Habermans were permitted their their you know sort of primitive pleasures and and that was like as an alternative to cranching right. I guess well yeah but that th- that would only happen on the ships it sounded like the Habermans were pretty much in hell I mean they were never allowed off the ships I think yeah and it's so funny too because. If you think of the, um, you know, there's two ends of the society. There's the the one that is supposedly at the top, which is the scanners, which it sounds like they're pretty high up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but and and then there's the Habermans, which are the lowest of society, and basically they've got the same exact problem, right? Right. Cut off right. Their well, feelings. they weren't just the lowest of society. I mean, these were murderers, killers, rapists. I mean, yeah, you uh, can't fall any farther, right? You, you, it's like this, the dregs of society. Exactly, mm-hmm. the dregs of society. And but it also sounded like there was more people, um, you know, with other, you know, when he enters that city and he's he's asked, uh, you know, he's pretending to be his old his old scanner, something like mm-hmm. they like they don't have any computers in the future that can, that can keep track of people. <laughs> um, he uh, he he's. He's saying, you know, are you this? Are you that? Mm-hmm. And it sounded like the whole society was instru- like whatever the instrumentality is. It's not just confined to these two groups of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if you were, uh, I don't know, a clerk or a clerk or whatever, you probably have some biological modifications as well. It's, it is my feeling. Mm-hmm. Do, we, do we see any 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 other people other well, than the Bartel's wife? She yeah. seemed, she seemed normal. She seemed pretty normal, although I I wouldn't want to be her either. <laughs> She's very patient. <laughs> you have to be pretty damn patient. Yeah. <laughs> and and the other thing is he goes into the city and they say, "What would you uh, do you want any of this? Do you want any of that? And do you want any money?" And I was thinking, "Well, what what the hell are they becoming scanners for if it's not for, you know, financial gain and no, is it just duty? Because I would never sign up for that job. It sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. And the honor. The honor. <laughs> they talk about that a lot. Um, and that made me think again of China, and think of how um, there is a group of people highly respected in in Mandarin China, mm-hmm. who uh, could have high uh, high power positions, but had to make a relatively great fact, right. pretty great sacrifice. Well, also, also Jap- Japanese as well. I mean, if you, the samurai, samurai literally means to serve. I mean, mm-hmm. the word means to serve, and they they had great honor, but they they were at the constantly at the at the will of everybody above them. I mean, if somebody told a samurai go kill yourself, you had no choice. You went to go kill yourself. 
Unless you want to become a Ronin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, uh, I guess, what our scanner is doing. Uh, mm-hmm. story, in some right? sense, yeah. He's breaking with his union. Yeah, the, it's, the it's, scanner, it's a very ancient story. Yeah. The scanners are really holding on to their position there as well, because they say something in their mantra about how if they don't get the right kind of honor and respect from uh, the the others and the instrumentality, they'll stop all the ships and then... Yeah. Yeah, mankind so. can't travel anymore. No, it 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 made me think it was like kind of like Unix, you know, like in ancient China, uh, you would take your test and you know you could be the emperor, and if you're not the emperor, you can still have power, but you have to become a eunuch. And I I think this is something mm-hmm. your parents would put you into rather than uh, you know, say, hey, I'm going to grow up to become a eunuch, yay! <laughs> um, I'll stay really high. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, it's I guess it's made also famous in the, the what's the Game of, Game of Thrones yeah. or whatever. One of those characters is is uh, a eunuch, I guess, for power purposes. But uh, yeah, it, it seems kind of alien in that you know you're not getting remuneration for this, mm-hmm. or if you are, it's not. Uh, it's only respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole alienness of of outlook is it, you know it it's captured not just in the first few lines of the story but also in the entire story we 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 see this as an alien world it's a human humanity that's radically changed mm-hmm. did you guys hear about that story where Lindberger tricked these chinese troops into surrendering no, because they they would say the Chinese words for love, duty, and humanity, but in English it would say "I surrender." Huh. And he kind of had them all because he, huh. he really wanted to preserve life that much. Wow, that's pretty mm. clever. Because uh, because of their honor system, they didn't want to actually surrender. Huh. Hmm. And this was love, in Korea. duty, and humanity. I surrender. Hmm. <laughs> Wait, wait a second. He's 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 making Chinese troops surrender. Is yeah, this, must be during the Korean War. Yes, as well in Korea. Otherwise, <laughs> they're uh, yeah. If it was World War Two, he's doing he's on the wrong side. Yeah, he said it. Did, I read somewhere he didn't want to get involved in the Vietnam War. Right. Oh well, that's wise of him. Yeah, that was a endless. Uh, it's it's fascinating. Uh, Asian history is you know modern twentieth century history is is. Is it's fascinatingly difficult to know what was the right thing to do because uh, you know Korea to be was, wrong things. <laughs> well, you know, you wouldn't want to see all of Korea under North Korea. No. Um, so that that was a good war. How do we figure that out? Just by looking back at history and saying, you know what, that made a lot of sense because it'd be really terrible to have more people under under the North Korean government. But on the other hand. Vietnam War seems to have been a terrible idea. In the end, it was uh, pointless. Yeah, absolutely pointless. And you know, the government, although not perfect, is it, you know it is not committing mass genocide. In fact, it was fighting against neighboring mass genocide. So, it, you know, what what do you do about Taiwan? Well, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's when you need people who've been in the culture, I guess. Like like Linebarger. Mm-hmm. Try and help you out. Listen, try and listen to them more. I don't know. Um, Marissa, what when you were reading this, were you reading it as a editor? 
No, not when I first read it. I was thinking like about some of the ways it, you know, there's some rough parts. I'm not sure what I'm pointing to exactly, mm. but there's something rough about mm. maybe it's maybe it's like raw talent that hasn't been. How would Marissa edit the story? Yeah, I mean, oh I'm, not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, it's got the, a fantastically interesting opening. Um, I'm yeah, not sure the opening's awesome. Buy it. It's just, it's like, Martel was angry. He didn't adjust, he didn't even adjust his blood away from anger. I can't do that. That's, That's a great line. Exciting. Mm. I mean, what the hell, what's going on here? I loved it all the way through until the ending was kind of <laughs> a yeah, bit of a happy ever yeah, after. Yeah. Well, but it was a very cynical ending at the same time. Yeah. Well, I was cynical. It was cynical because, well, the scanners pretty much still stayed in power. And the worst part is is that Vomact, who was the, the leader of the scanners and, and really kind of a scumbag, he, he, he not only stayed in power, but he became sort of the, the uh, chairman of space where he was now controlling all these ships that went in and out. And all the Haven managers being killed as they come back in. Yeah, and all the Habermans then died. Well, they were all they were all pretty much, as I said, murderers and and sort of rotten people anyway. So yeah, as far as we know, that's maybe maybe that's what the story needed is like just a little injection of Philip K. Dick because mm-hmm. if we had had an ending where this or is it right mm-hmm. at the end. We would say, you know, everything's going to be happy forever. And mm-hmm. by the way, we just installed this extra chip in your chest box to make you think that everything's going to be happy forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that also reminds me of a, a fabulously wonderful Philip K. Dick story with a guy who discovers he is uh, not just a cyborg, but an android uh, called the Electric Ant. Um, and when he... he he cuts himself and he sees like there's circuitry below the skin and then he opens up his chest and he sees like there it's, you know, sort of old fashioned punch tape computer <laughs> running inside his oh, chest. Wow. And he's like, what the hell? And, and he, he takes like some tape and covers up the, some of the holes and then he punches some other holes using like a, you know, hand hole puncher <laughs> and, um, and his reality starts shifting um, like you know, that's a graphic novel like, now. Yeah, there's a. Uh, it's very hard to get a hold of though because wow. they, they printed it up like very weirdly. Oh. So you can get like later issues, but you can't get the beginning of that. I should you be trade paperbacks sooner or later. No, I was talking about the trade paperback. I don't know. Oh. I don't know what they were thinking. I, you can get like volume two through seven or something, but you can't get volume one. But anyways, the you know if that if if it had something like that, the the sort of neatly bowed ending um, would, wouldn't would feel so just a way of wrapping it up. Mm-hmm. Mm. But that, I'm not an, an editor either. <laughs> it did feel sure. a little quick that just the ending was a bit sort of... And, and sort of he's out of it too, right? I mean, he wakes up and he... Yeah. Loaded, it, it's, it's, that's the rough part of the story, I would guess. Hmm. You know, I was, yeah. I was relating. Uh, I was relating Martell to Edward Snowden, like Martell is the whistleblower. Mm. Mm. That's, that's a good point. And then the, I guess, the NSA is the scanners. <laughs> well, they, they are certainly all powerful. I mean, in, if you can cut off 
you know, travel, yeah, travel from everywhere. It's, but also, I mean, they have like a, it's a secret society too, right there. Oh yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, I guess it's not a secret, but they have like a code uh, of silence. Yeah, but like, I don't think he, I don't think Martel's talking to his wife about you know those things. He's just they they there's some things that you know they don't talk about outside of Fight Club or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I, I'm. And they don't want things I, to change, even though it's probably for the better of everybody. I was I was really excited when I found out this story was public domain because it it is it is like one of those ones where you can see certain things that that aren't in science fiction much, but when they are, they they are like uh, they shake it up. It shakes up a lot of things, and um, I mean. Uh, the only other writer I was thinking of when I was reading this is is um, Alfred Bester. He's got a he's got an ability to write a, f- a few lines and draw you in and say, "What the hell's going on? How is this so cool? What the, I hope this is going to be cool, and then it all is cool." <laughs> and w- what's the up and out? Oh, that's space. Why do they call it that? Because they live in a far distant future, and they don't have our culture. They don't, you know, like it. It doesn't feel like it's from 1950 exactly. Uh, mm. Although you know they've got etch a sketches. Other than that, they, it, it feels like it's it's from the future. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a lot of stuff that's not explained. I mean, what's a Munchen Jaeger? Mm-hmm. Right, and the yeah. Unforgiven. And yeah, the Unforgiven and stuff like that, and and they really never explain what the instrumentality is actually. Did you guys figure out as well what the Great Pain of Space actually is? It like, says radiation on one of the websites, but yeah, I don't. Know. That's what I thought when I first read it, and then when I read it again, I started thinking it's more. It might be more like a psychological pain. It, it seems symbolic in some way, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm. and and he seemed because he's going after. He keeps solving the same problem over and over again with the other instrumentality stories. Um, Game of Rat and Dragon, he's got the... There's monsters in space, right? Sort of Lovecraft. And don't Uh, people sort of go crazy? It's more like a... Yeah. Like dealing with space is kind of like a mental... Not physically overwhelmed, but mentally overwhelmed. Yeah, the best of those stories is uh, Think Blue Count Two, which is really cool. Insofar as and they've gotten that's that's that happens after not not that long after I think the scanner stories now they no longer have scanners but uh, the problem is is that when you go off into space and um, you have basically these these pilots who kind of uh, kind of fly the ships and then go back and get frozen and then make sure they're on course and go back and get frozen. But if there's something that goes wrong, they go completely nuts if they're sort of <laughs> stuck out in space. And, uh, and again, that's a story where he's trying to s- talks about how, how to solve this problem. And, and that's a really cool one because that one talks about embedding, embedding memories and, and uh, mm-hmm. thoughts into uh, small animals like like rats that are plasticized. Mm-hmm. So you would take a brain of a rat that's plasticized, and then uh, you kind of use it as a as a, an organic computer. Wow, and, that uh, sounds great. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. neat, and and it's actually used in this story as a uh, as a, a a kind of 
trigger to, to, to make sure that there's, there's no revolt or no problems if a particular ship goes off into space and it's kind of stuck there. It's, it's, I, re- I really recommend that one. It's just really an interesting mm, sounds one. Sounds good. Oh, I don't have that. I wonder uh, if, it, if it's, you know, people deal with the same, you know, you're reading writers and you, they're dealing with the same issue over and over again. Um, they see it as a problem. Right, they see it as some sort of issue in the world. Mm-hmm. Philip K. Dick is trying to deal with, you know, how do I know what's real? Mm-hmm. And he's trying to deal with that, and he comes up with a thousand different answers because none of them are satisfactory, right? Um, this guy's dealing with the same thing again, but you know, they haven't been in outer space yet. Right. So what is what does it rea- relate to in the real world that we can? you know, sort of compare it to, like, you know, sailing across the ocean, yeah, it's a big deal, but it, you know, you don't have to have chest box installed over it. Mm-hmm. I guess there's a psychological uh, toll. It's some sort of psychological thing, right? I think and it is, because it's what they call the first effect, and they're like, no one knows what it is. They can't really describe <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, neither can we. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I have to read more... more uh, Ford Wayner Smith, though. Right. I, I, you, you do begin to see, yeah, you do begin to see this this same theme over and over again in the other stories. I, I find it, you know, that's one of the fun things about reading authors is you, it, it, it's it's the closest you can get into, in, into someone else's mind mm-hmm. if they're writing certain kind of stories. And because, because they put so much effort into... Mm-hmm. Right, especially in a short story, they put so much effort into writing each sentence, to crafting it into a certain form. Right, with short stories, they're trying yeah. to tell you something. They're trying to show you something. Right. Stephen and King said, "Writing is telepathy." It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm writing. I was going to say that this style is kind of operatic, or it's like a weird heightened style to the way everyone talks. It is heightened, absolutely. Mm. Right, it's not it's not normal conversation. Right. <laughs> I don't think anybody oh. has a normal conversation. I guess mythical style. I'm thinking um, there's even the song, right? Um, Jim, you came up with a little tune to go with. Here's to the Haberman. <laughs> That's great. Got <laughs> <laughs> to do something. Careful. <laughs> Awful, well, to it. When they're celebrating the Haberman, though, are they celebrating the scanner? I think they are. Mm. It, 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 yeah. it's, it's funny that that they're so contrasting, right? The, the the scum of society and the the heights of society are both called Habermans. Right. Something weird about that going on. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost schizoid in some fashion, where it's Absolutely. two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and, and the other thing, you know, that is, if you you you're just listening to the audio, you wouldn't you wouldn't hear it. Uh, that is similar to uh, Bester, is sort of the change in the type, not typography, but like um, when he's writing on his his uh, cranching board, or no, not cranching board, etch-a-sketch thing hanging from his neck or uh, around his chest or whatever it is, uh, he's using sort of text messaging yes. <laughs> style yes. shortening, oh, yeah. right? Yes. Please, darling, where's <laughs> cranching wire? Right. <laughs> You know, I thought about doing that, and I was just thinking, well, why would I do that if I'm speaking it aloud? No, no, you wouldn't. It would just sound very funny. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's uh, that's what I say at the end of phone calls now. TTYL. Like he had an iPad on his chest. It, yeah, well, I, I was thinking they, it was kind of old technology, but also I was thinking that it was not because if you if you have an iPad, it'll crash. But if you've got an Etch-a-Sketch, it's not going to crash. Right? If you've got some sort of very, very simple technology and you can't communicate with other people, um, you really you really want to be able to communicate. So it, it didn't seem as uh, I don't know less low tech as it it necessarily was. You know, like a lot of times we think of uh, the future; it's everything's going to be electronic, but you don't need like an electronic teapot. In fact, you don't want an electronic teapot; you just want a regular teapot. <laughs> Is not reliable. Mm-hmm. Aren't, aren't those hard to get these days? The, the old-fashioned. Yeah, oh, I, think, I guess I'm thinking of the old-fashioned makers. No, you 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 do. You want a nice brown Betty. They're hard to they're hard to get, but the thing is, is they last forever yeah, too, like, and, and they're wonderful. So, I mean, you you can get them, but you're going to have to pay a pretty penny and find it online or something. Yeah. I was. I just read somewhere that uh, somebody started a botnet, and part of it apparently was a refrigerator. Somebody, somebody had actually used the computer on a refrigerator as part of a botnet. And I'm thinking, hmm. what? Why? Why would you want a refrigerator with a computer anyway? It's a refrigerator for Pete's sake. <laughs> it's 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 funny, right? I mean, the thing is, we were talking not that many years ago about how. Everything's going to be smart. Mm-hmm. I think there's a know? smart toothbrush coming out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Like got to make sure you even brush enough. I, I have to wait for the updates to use my goddamn toothbrush. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, although you know, I think I got a toothbrush for Christmas, and um, I think it actually has like a a mechanism in it to tell me when to stop, to stop brushing. Because I brush and and then it goes uh, 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 and then it keeps going. <laughs> and I was thinking I had, I didn't read the instructions for my toothbrush, but I I, I think it's like a timer that's built into it. And I don't know if that's true or not. But if I did know, then actually it would be useful. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not super useful. My my kids actually have what are called Firefly toothbrushes, which which light up on the end. And as long as they're lighting, they're supposed to uh, brush their teeth. Yeah. When it stops, yeah. that, then they've brushed them for long enough. <laughs> I think that, I mean, that's actually kind of useful, right? A little bit. But yeah. maybe it's a trap, this technology trap. Like, I, there, I heard that Google is going to go into, not Google Glass, but Google uh, Lens or something, right? Like. Oh, wow. And that is the first step to having the implants. And I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to want to like. Oh, the contact lens, lens takes your uh, um, blood glucose level. I, think I don't know. It's, it, yeah, it's some sort of you know. Wow. I mean, contact lenses are cool, I guess. Although glasses seem perfectly fine for me. I'm not a guy who has either, so I wouldn't know. But um, and there's probably uh, a back door for the NSA. So the NSA. Yeah, I mean your eyeballs. Uh, <laughs> There's at some point. At some point, we're gonna we're gonna start putting you know the Apple products inside our bodies, and some people are gonna you know say that's too far. 
I know like grandpa doesn't like <laughs> iPad or whatever, but that's not that's not quite the same when you actually, you know, the technology enters your body. It's kind of scary. Wouldn't it be cool if you can count your calories, though? Like, put something in your stomach? (laughs) (laughs) You have had enough calories for today. Please stop. (laughs) Your stomach is now closed for operation. You won't eat anymore. You've had too much. (laughs) Yeah, and it starts uh, giving you pain shots if uh, you try to eat more. Just a little more ice cream. Ouch. Okay, no. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.